20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What is going on, Packer fans? Welcome in to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I am beaming. Happy Victory Monday. It is 1.48 a.m. on Monday morning. Got back from Lambeau, did the rewatch, and I am ready to record a podcast. This might be the first ever seven-hour-long episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. We have some things to go over. What a night. What a game. What a stretch of play out of nowhere for this young Green Bay Packer team who, if I wanted to be snarky and if I wanted to be, look at me, look what I said. Did I say earlier in the year and in the offseason and all of it, like, hey, this is going to be a team super talented, extremely young. We're going to have really high highs. We're going to have really low lows. So buckle in and expect the wave of roller coaster emotions throughout the course of the year. Yeah. And I think we saw some really low lows at three and six and like wondering, all right, three and six games against the Chargers, Lions and Chiefs coming up, buckle in because this might be a bumpy ride and this could get bad before it gets good. There was some low lows at that point. No questions asked. Three weeks later, some pretty freaking high highs, including wins against Justin Herbert, the Lions, the first place Lions in the NFC North, and now the Kansas City Chiefs at home at Lambeau Field. So I could be like, look at that. Guys, if you would have told me three weeks ago that they pulled off this three-game stretch, there's no way that I would have believed you. I don't think you would have believed yourself. And I think there was maybe some optimism that this team could maybe get it turned around. I think we saw a good victory over the Rams against the Brett Rippon-led teams. I think we saw a pretty decent loss in Pittsburgh where they were competitive and you felt a different style and brand of football than you did in some of the previous games. You had a game against the Chargers where a few, you know, kind of balls bounce your way and you kind of get some turnovers, whatever. But man... You go these two games against the Lions and against the Chiefs, and you go 2-0 and in that stretch, and 3-0 and over the last three games, 4-1 and over their last five, and just a totally different team than what you saw earlier this year. The mental mistakes and just the like players not in the right spot at the right time running into each other in routes, like the just you know, stabbed to the heart, like mistakes in the worst possible moments that you're just like, does this team even practice like that stuff just gone out the window and credit Matt LaFleur for a few weeks ago, you know, basically kind of switching some things up and kind of doing some things earlier in the week to get his team better prepared, whatever it was, he had no issues in changing what was going on. And maybe he had to, like whatever the case may be, he pushed the right buttons at the right time to get this team trending back in the right direction. And just a really, really fun journey for this young team right now. And how can you not be excited about where they're at at six and six? The lessons that this young team has learned already on the season. I talked about this over the past couple of weeks, but you know, the the loss to the Falcons early in the year where they have victory in their hands and it falls away from them. Then a week later, having a defeat like all but in front of them and then grabbing it back and finding a way to win against the Saints. Going through the losing streak that they went through only to come out from it 
with a big time winning streak and just a completely different football team and to go through that adversity and come out the other side and be better from it. Like what this team has gone through, what they have learned, how this is already hard in this team. These are experiences that we really kind of weren't expecting this team to get maybe until a year down the road, two years down the road. And they're getting them right now. And they're experiencing some big time wins and learning how to win clutch games, you know, epic games at the last moment, again, against the Lions, against the Chiefs these past couple weeks. The Chargers game was right down until the wire. And they're learning how to win football games in the NFL as a very young team with still a ton of injuries. With a, you know, a key player in Razul Douglas traded away at the trade deadline because things were trending in the wrong direction. And this team just came together and said, screw it. What do we have to lose? Let's go out. Let's play our best football. Let's win some games and let's see what happens. As of right now, as we sit here today, the Packers hold the number seven seed in the playoffs and are now trending in a more likely direction. In fact, the 70% likelihood direction of making it into the postseason. And we have a long way to go. And Matt LaFleur handled that in his postgame press conference perfectly because with a young team, when you have success, that can go to your head and be like, oh, you know what? We got this now. We put us on cruise control. We, we don't have a, a Chiefs and a Lions coming up. Now, like, if it goes that direction and they kind of get comfortable and cozy, you're going to lose some of those games. That's just how the NFL humbles you. Matt LaFleur is ready to go a week at a time. It's cliche. It's lame, but it there's power in it. There's a realism to it. And you that's exactly what you have to do in today's NFL because if you take anything for granted, you will you'll end up with a loss. And the last thing you want is this awesome win against the Chiefs and then a loss against the Giants. And it's like, well, you don't even need the win against the Chiefs. You just could have beat the Giants and you would have ended up in the same spot. So you don't want to take that step back after taking such a massive, massive step forward. And, you know, Alex and Perry and I, if you made it through our, our full pregame show, we joked a little bit about, you know, this game was going to come down to, you know, prayer and vibes and everything else like that. We we are obviously joking about the vibes portion of it to most most extent, but I'll say this: getting to that game, Sunday night football, snowy Lambo, lights are on. Every once in a while, you, I've been to that stadium. I don't even know how many times at, at this point, but every once in a while, you get to the stadium and you just feel an energy. You do feel a vibe. You feel an emotion. And it's just, it has this magical feel to it. And when I got there, without even kind of putting it into a ton of thought at the time, I took the picture of Lambeau and I just said, a magical night at Lambeau. It, it just felt that way from the get-go. And whether that was, again, just the, the scenery and the snow coming down at Lambeau, I mean, that place is always amazing in night games. All the pageantry of all the incredible, you know, insane celebrities that were in attendance and everything like that. I don't know what it was. But it just had this epic, amazing feel and this magical feeling of something that was gonna special was gonna happen at Lambeau Field on this specific night, and it did. And it was so fun to watch. It's one of those that I think we will go down, you know, for this era of Packers football, whatever it ends up being long term, as a really like huge moment for this Jordan Love, Matt Lafleur led football team that just a few weeks ago. You didn't know what they were going to be. You didn't even know if like tw like what 2024 would bring. And now it just is like hope springs eternal. Everything is coming up the way that you would want it to. 
The players that you wanted to see take a step in their development have taken a massive step in their development, specifically Jordan Love. And there were all the questions of, could Matt LaFleur be the guy that takes this young team that's struggling and get them to that next level? We knew that he could coach a team of good players at a high level, 13 wins after 13 wins after 13 wins, two NFC championship game appearances. It's still fair to question if he can be the guy that gets you to the promised land and everyone will have that question for every coach until they actually win it. But we've seen him win a ton of games with a lot of talent on his team. He knows how to win in those situations. But the question was going to be, could he take this group of young players and actually develop them and progress them and watch them and and see them get better? And the answer of the past three weeks has been a resounding yes. This is a coach that knows how to win in the NFL against good teams, against bad teams, against whatever it takes. Like, you know, there have been some bumps in the road. No question about it. Last year, the stretch that they went through, I think they lost seven out of eight games, if memory serves. Like that is a tough stretch of football. But I go back to that season all the time and say that Chicago Bear game, they're down, I think, two scores going into the fourth quarter. And they come back and win that, win another, win another, win another. And all of a sudden you've got a basically a play-in game against the Lions at the end of the year. And they didn't win it, but that team had every right fourth quarter, cold weather. They lost seven out of eight. Nothing's going in their favor. Their odds of making the playoffs are minuscule at best. They, they could have quit right then and there. That's a culture check moment. And they passed that culture check. And then you get to this year and you have another one, three and six. You're sitting at three and six facing three. If nothing, like I know the Chargers... We can't, I don't think we can label them as a good team. A great quarterback, that's still a challenge, especially a challenge for a team that had been playing the way that Green Bay had been playing. So you got Herbert, you've got the Lions on Thanksgiving in Detroit, and then you've got the Chiefs Sunday night football. Like that is a tough stretch. Three and six gut check moment. Like this is a, this because you go three and nine, we're having a totally different discussion today to say the least. Like, where's this team if they lose their last three instead of win their last three? Like, what are we talking about today? Like, who's, whose head is everyone wanting on a silver platter of like, every, everyone needs to be fired, right? But instead, culture check. They go 3-0 and in those three games, completely improbably to the credit of everyone in that building, from Goody to Matt to everyone. And you can go coach by coach, player by player, that was a big time gut check moment for that team, that regime, that franchise, those players, and what a freaking response. I, I don't know where this team or this specific journey for this group of players ends this season and you know, kind of beyond that. But right now, this is really fun. I mean, this is, you know, we talked about like house money and you, you've got nothing to lose against the Lions and the Chiefs. Man, they are playing not only with like they have nothing to lose, they're playing confident. They're playing like they can go out and beat anyone. And they just beat two of the best teams in the NFL. Like no mistake. Like you, you could, what, top seven, eight, like no question about it. Those two are right there. And Green Bay goes into Detroit, gets the win, Kansas City at home. Like, cause here's the thing too, right? It's one thing to announce yourself Thanksgiving, Thursday against the Lions and get that big win. But if you come back the next week against the Chiefs and you just kind of lay an egg and you kind of go revert back and it doesn't feel the same, everyone's just going to start saying, well, 
you know, that Detroit game was great, but it's a Thursday game. Weird things happened on Thursdays. It's probably just a fluke. Green Bay got one over on Detroit. They got some turnovers early, but that's not sustainable. Like they're, they're not going to be able to continue to do that. But you come out and you make a second statement against the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football. Now you've got the attention of a lot of different people. Like I said, the inside track right now for a playoff spot and currently in that number seven seed. Really cool moment after the game. Um, usually I don't get down quick enough. Um, I wanted to make it down a little bit earlier after this game. And in the elevator, you, across all the Packers personnel, is piling in the offensive coordinators, the defensive coordinators, the coachings, to anyone that's up in the booth. And those people are like, man, the energy and the excitement. And I really wish at sometimes that like people would be able to get to see the real human emotion. And then we're piling in an elevator. There's a few media people in there and then like some other staff and some NFL people, I think. And then at the last second, one more person comes running through trying to get on an elevator to get down. It's Brian Gutekind. And he comes in and everyone's like celebrating with, with Goody. Like, you know, obviously the non-media people are celebrating with Goody. And uh, just this really cool moment. And again, I wish people could see the emotion that these people, like, I know that you're a huge fan of the team. I know that I'm a huge fan of the team. Like there's no bigger fans of that team than Goody and those coaches and that staff and like what they're trying to do and develop. And it was just a really cool moment to see the raw human emotion from the people that I think sometimes we don't put faces to or real life to. Like, you know, it kind of happens in like a vacuum. And it was just really kind of cool to see their emotions after a massive win against the Chiefs. Like they knew it. They knew how much that game went. A lot of love to Joe Barry too. I think you could tell that 19 point defensive performance against one of the best quarterbacks of all time. And it just, again, it was really, really cool to see that. Like I said, I don't know where this journey ends for this team. It's really, really magical and fun to watch right now, but now they have five games left and those five games are still really going to define this team. Like this has been a really successful stretch to sort of set what this team can be moving forward and really start to gauge some of these young players. But there's a huge difference the remainder of this year in these five games between four and one and two and three, even. You go two and three, probably miss the playoffs. That's a disappointing end to the year at this point. You go three and two, four and one, five and oh, like that has a totally different connotation too. So job not done, really exciting, really fun right now. And now like it's almost to some extent, like you got through the hard part, but now a different hard part comes. I, I, you know, now you have a stretch of games where you're expected to be the winner. There's more expectations. You're pushing for a playoff spot and you have winnable games in all five. In fact, they, my guess is they end up favored in at least four of the five and the Vikings one, just because it's on the road might be a little bit more of a toss up, but they could easily be favored in that one too, depending on how both teams are playing when that game rolls around. Just just so freaking fun. And I don't know how you can't be excited about this team and where they're at through 12 games this year. Just a fun night, a fun moment, and a special, what I would say even like a five-game stretch. Again, going back to the Rams game, competitive against Steelers, and then those last three wins, just a totally different Packers team. All right, let's jump into the details. Some key people that I want to highlight, some key plays that I want to highlight, all of that sort of stuff. And I... I thought of where I wanted to start would be easy to start with Jordan Love and we'll get to him next but I want to start with Matt LaFleur because some of the things that I just mentioned a second ago three and six trending in all the wrong ways and you've got a really really 
tough schedule coming up in, in those three games specifically. And you're facing three and nine, maybe four and eight right in the face. And after a losing season a season ago with some really like boneheaded plays and mistakes mixed in there where it just felt disjointed. It felt disconnected. And we knew there was going to be young players and inexperienced moments, but it kind of felt a little bit different than that. And for all the, you know, finger pointing that went towards Matt during that streak, he didn't flinch. He didn't blink. He stayed positive. He rallied his guys. They traded away Razul. He kept going on and he turned it around man, he turned it around in a pretty big way. Some of the changes they made to the practice schedule, I think have clearly paid dividends. And one of the things that stood out to me that Goody talked about in multiple press conferences and that Matt's talked about in multiple press conferences, and even as of late, like right around the the losing streak too, is that they talked about how much this group of players loves football and that they were grinding. They wanted to win there was a huge desire within that locker room to keep getting better. And there was always something there that like kind of buoyed me, even in some of those lowest of low moments of like, all right, let's see, like, can they, can they pull it together? And there's been some rumblings that this team has been putting a lot of extra work in and a lot of time, effort, and energy, and it's paying off. And you can tell that this has been a group of players that loves football and that's working. Matt LaFleur mentioned it in his post-game presser, and it's 100% true. This does not happen by happenstance. You don't go from a team, a young team that's struggling and is just some of the basics aren't going right to beating teams like this without putting in the time, effort, and the energy. This is a real true you know, impression that we're getting of what this team and what this coaching staff is capable of. And just as much as we could, you know, were fair to be critical of Matt in some of those not so great moments during the three and six stretch, what he has done lately deserves a ton of credit. And man, if he finishes this thing off with a four and one or five and oh run at the end of this, and it's still going to be tough, don't get me wrong, but anything like that might. What what a job he has done this year. And like I said, job not done. There's a long way to go, five games left. And now the pressure kind of starts. But what a turnaround. And Matt deserves a ton of credit. And for this game specifically, Matt was in his bag in this one, big time. I think when we had visions of like, this, what does this Matt LaFleur offense look like? Every once in a while, we get games like this where it's just so beautiful, where it's sweeps and motion and different formations and personnel packages and just like, it feels like everything that is in his playbook is getting thrown out there. And the other, the defense just doesn't know how to respond to it. And credit the team, a young team, for executing all that he threw out there. I think every single one of his eligible players on offense played in this game, played snaps. All of his running backs, Patrick Taylor, A.J. Dillon, James Robinson, his fullback, you know, um, Melton, or, uh, excuse me, Henry Pearson, um, tight ends, Ben Sims, Tucker Craft. And you know all of his wide receivers played snaps that were eligible, and all of his offensive linemen. He got Royce Newman in there as an extra blocker on a play. He rotated in Yash Nyman. He rotated in Sean Ryan for a series. He used every single offensive player that was at his disposal besides Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford was the only one that did not get a snap on offense. I'm almost surprised he didn't do it just to say he got everyone in. But outside of Sean Clifford, everyone on offense got snaps. And it was just like this beautiful poetry in motion 
of, again, all of these personnel packages, all the groupings, all the different formations, all the motions, all like everything. And it was gorgeous to watch. And I think sometimes Matt gets away from some of that stuff. I I don't exactly know why. And I know every week is going to be a different game plan and you got to change things up a little bit. But when his offense looks like that and credit the players for executing it too, but it's really hard to stop. And he was in his bag with everything. He had a phenomenal game plan. He had play calls for every down situation and circumstance. And again, the, the players went out and executed. When you see a, an offense that's clicking like that, that's tough to stop. They put up more points against that defense, that KC defense, than at any given time. And it was just an impressive performance. So Matt deserves a ton of credit for that. And, you know, I mentioned that, you know, sometimes we talk about a Matt LaFleur offense. That looked like a Matt LaFleur offense and really, really impressive stuff. And I hope that that style of offense continues. And hopefully at some point you get an Aaron Jones back, maybe towards the end of the year, you get a Luke Musgrave back. We'll see. We'll talk about Christian Watson in a little bit, little bit. but you know, if, if this offense could just get some of those key players back too, man, it just feels like they're, they're really close to putting something special together at this point when these guys are still so young. And that's what's so tantalizing about the entirety of this team right now. All right, let's go over to Jordan Love. 25 for 36, 267 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, two sacks, a 118.6 rating, two carries, 10 yards, went toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and outdueled him. He outplayed Patrick freaking Mahomes on this specific date. No other way to put it. I I was going to leave this one until the end of my Jordan Love conversation, but I just want to say it right now. I don't know if you guys felt it. I absolutely felt it in this game. There was like the feel in this game for, for at least me the first time all year that I don't know if you like when, when you guys remember Aaron, like prime Aaron, right? And even like this, we're just talking like a few years ago, MVP Aaron was still like prime Aaron, right? But the feel of when Aaron goes back to pass you don't even have to like think if something good is going to happen. You just know something good is going to happen when the ball leaves his hands. Like you don't have this angst of like, oh, this could be an interception. Like you had with Brett at times of like, you don't know what you're going to get. It's just Pandora's box. And you just knew that if the offense was run and players were open, Aaron was going to find them, number one. And two, it was going to be an accurate pass. And it was like good things were going to constantly happen. It was like, because you see, right? When you're watching the TV camera or the the TV copy, and you see Jordan or Aaron go back to pass, and he throws it, you can't see the rest of the field. And you, but when the ball left Aaron's hands, you just felt like you knew good things were going to happen. As soon as that ball left his hands, you knew the defense was in trouble. That it was probably going to be complete. It was something good was going to happen, and you never had that fear of like risk. And this was the a game for Jordan where it just it felt, and it was a carryover from Detroit. And it really would carry over the course of the you know past month or so, where just like all of a sudden, every time the ball left his hand, you just immediately felt like something good was going to happen. There was there for me at least, there wasn't that fear, there wasn't that anxiety, there wasn't like, all right, is this going to be like one of those bizarro Jordan balls that you know, just you don't know where it's going to go? Like he, the game has slowed down for him already, in a shocking way, and you're seeing not just like a growth. And we talk about like growth isn't always linear. It doesn't always, you know, go step by step. We're not seeing 
linear growth from Jordan. That doesn't mean it's like one step forward, two steps back, three steps. We're seeing a exponential growth from Jordan that the game is slowing down, that he's picking up everything and like his accuracy is getting better. I, I have to imagine that early in the season, there were some nervous moments for Jordan as he's taking over and stuff. Like the quick, like just how quickly the game has slowed for him now that he's become a starter. And Brian and Matt and all those guys said like, hey, Jordan just has to play. We, we know he has the tools. Now he has to go out and use them and he just has to go play. And you let him go play for the first, you know, however many weeks. And you're seeing like, ah, some ups and downs. You're still not sure. But then that that moment, and it just seems like it's clicked over the past month plus where the game has slowed down. He's processing everything. He's knowing when to get rid of the football. He's going through his progressions. He's getting rid of it on time. He's making spectacular. He's you know making fewer and fewer mistakes. And you get that feel of like every time the ball leaves his hand, like something good's going to happen. The athleticism is still showing up. The play where Sean Ryan got beat clean by Chris Jones and he just ran away from it. And I think picked up, you know, what a first down on the play. It's it's so fun to watch him right now and just see how he is navigating this season and getting better at a really fast pace. And now the question is just like, where does this slow down? Does it keep getting better? Like that's a scary thought, like a scary, exciting thought. And you know, one of the things I talked about is I know how this league works. You have that game against Detroit and you have your, I'm the guy moment, but Hey, NFL, look at me. And I, sh- I, by the way, I said earlier this week, the, the NFL, uh, I, sorry, NBC had the opportunity to do something amazing in this game. They should have given Jordan Love a turkey leg at the end of this game. I said, if they win, they should have had one ready for him just to like make up for Fox not having one. They definitely should have done that. But Man, like if if he just goes out and like I said, has an awful game against the Chiefs, everyone's ready to tear him back down again and be like, oh, guess maybe he's not the guy and like, who knows? Like, and you just start going in the opposite direction. But to have back-to-back statement games like that and to outplay the Lions in Detroit on Thanksgiving and then to come back and outplay Patrick Mahomes on Sunday Night Football, you've arrived. He's a legit starter. He's Green Bay's franchise guy. You're still going to give it the rest of this year because they can't re-sign him anyway. But man, how can you not be excited about what Jordan Love is bringing? Last three games, I think Zach Cruz posted this. 74 of 108, 857 yards, eight touchdowns, no picks, 68.5% completion percentage, 7.9 yards per attempt, 116.9 passer rating. That's, That's really good stuff. And you should be very, very excited about what he is putting on tape. And like I said, the biggest thing for me in this game is there was that real moment of like, oh, every time he's throwing the ball, I feel really good like something positive is gonna happen. And you just have that like cruise control that you had with Aaron at times of like, hey, you don't have to worry about the QB. He's, he's gonna take care of business. If everyone gets open and protects him up front, he's gonna crush it and he knows where to go with it. And that is that is a great, great feeling to have if you're a Packer fan, which you are here, so I am sure that you are. Hey friends. I'm sure you're all familiar with some of the hassles of finding game tickets at a reasonable price without all the headaches that go along with it. I've been on a bit of a roll lately as I went through one ticketing service that never sent me the tickets and I had to panically try to get a hold of somebody the day of the game. I had another service that didn't allow me to transfer tickets. So when I could no longer go to the Wisconsin-Iowa game, transferring the tickets was extremely difficult. It was just all so frustrating. 
That was until I found GameTime. GameTime is so easy to use with a low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, easy to find tickets, and an even easier to use app. GameTime is the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through emails and have those same panicky moments that I did the day of a game. So next time you're buying tickets, make sure you snag them using GameTime, stress-free. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Oh, and GameTime is also a great way to buy tickets for a holiday gift. Just make sure to use code PACKADAY. Download GameTime today, last minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. I've had so much fun making prize picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. All right, next up, want to talk about Joe Barry. I don't know if you guys know this. This was underreported. Joe Barry actually got fired after the Steelers game. They hired Jim Leonard, following the Steelers game. He's actually been the acting defensive coordinator. And since they hired Jim Leonard in the games against the Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs, they've allowed 20 points, 22 points, and 19 points. And that 22-point performance against the Lions was really just you know brought up a little bit, propped up by a late touchdown that didn't really matter anyway. What an amazing performance by this new defensive coordinator. I say this in jest, of course, but if I told you that there was a new defensive coordinator that they fired Joe Barry after that awful Steelers loss. And the new defensive coordinator came in, held the Chargers and Justin Herbert to 20 points. The Lions really to what, 16 points at the end of that game until the garbage time touchdown. And then Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to 19 points with no Jair Alexander, with no Eric Stokes, with no Razul Douglas, a lot of safeties missing through the majority of those three games and Corey Ballantyne starting that corner. If I would have told you that, you'd have been like, man, that new defensive coordinator sounds pretty good. Per Aaron Nagler, Joe Barry, obviously, again, I'm saying the the new defensive coordinator thing in jest, but like, if, if you take the name Joe Barry and the connotation of Joe Barry and the fire Joe Barry and the, you know, Joe Barry memes out of all of this and you just take it at face value, that's pretty impressive three weeks for Joe Barry. And I get It's not always aesthetically pleasing. It's not sexy. You give up some third and 18 sort of stuff. A lot of three-man rush stuff that didn't go great. They go touchdown, or excuse me, field goal, field goal, touchdown, touchdown to start this game. But man, and as I was about to say, per Aaron Negler, 
The Packers have now not allowed more than 24 points in eight straight games. The first time that that has happened for a Packers defense since 2010. You know what happened in that specific season. But you go back to that, right? In this specific game, they start off by allowing field goal, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. First four drives. That's a lot of points in the first four drives for the Chiefs. You're giving up touch or scoring drives every single time. But, and this is a huge but, it's 21-19 Packers and the Packers punted the ball away to the Chiefs in the fourth quarter. 21-19 and they held them three and out and got the ball back. Packers go down, they kick a field goal, take a 24-19 lead, kick the ball off to the Chiefs, fourth quarter, up by five, and it just feels like the inevitable. You know what's coming. Patrick Mahomes, touchdown drive, Aaron, or Jordan Love, it's easy to do still. Jordan Love is going to have to come back and win the game. Nope. Keyshawn Nixon interception. 27-19, eight-point game, minute plus left. Patrick Mahomes at QB. You already know what's going to happen. Mahomes is going to go down. They're going to score the touchdown, and it's probably going to come down to a two-point conversion or maybe even overtime. Nope. They get the turnover on downs and time runs out at the end of the game. That's three straight defensive stops for the defense. And I went into those three drives, you know, the, the, the start of those three drives, I should say, saying the rest of the game defines the defense because it was 21-19 at the time. If they keep it at like even 23 or under, that would have been a awesome performance, like a really good performance from the defense. If they would have kept it 19 or under, which is where it was at, it was like, this is an amazing performance. As if they would have get it 19 or under and they get a turnover, that would be a pretty epic performance by the defense. And I said, but if they allow, you know, touchdown drives and they, you know, Chiefs take the lead, it's a really disappointing defensive performance and maybe even a bad defensive performance. They hold them to 19 and they get the interception, the big turnover. And that's a really, really good performance from a Packers defense. I know the Chiefs aren't the same juggernaut, superpower, can't ever stop them sort of offense. But if I would have told you at any point, 19 points allowed to the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes with Corey Ballantyne, Carrington Valentine, Keyshawn Nixon, Darnell Savage, and Jonathan Owens as your top five defensive backs, you would have said no way. But Joe Barry's found a way to do it. And I get that that's not always a fun platform to stand on, but he deserves a lot of credit for the work that he's done lately with the players that he's been given and finding ways to limit teams. I know they're still giving up points. I know they're still giving up some big drives, but they're getting stops when they need to. And they're finding ways to win football games and play more complimentary football, specifically over the past five weeks of the season. So I I have to give him some credit and your mileage may vary as to how much credit you want to give to Joe Barry right now. I think he's deserving. And I specifically, I saw like fire Joe Barry tweets in this game. I'm like, dude, you're holding Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs to under 20 points. Like, let's have some common sense here to know that even if you're not a fan, even if you want Joe Barry fired for past transgressions, fire Joe Barry based on this game is a little bit ridiculous. So again, mileage may vary as to where you're at with Joe Barry, but I think he does deserve credit um, for what he has done over the past month at least, but especially in these past few games against Herbert, the Lions, and Mahomes. All right, really quick, want to talk about the end of game situation because that's a big topic of conversation. Refs botched almost everything on that last drive, which you don't really want. You want the game to sort of handle itself on its own accord rather than having all of these missed calls and situations. But the first was the late hit on Jonathan Owens, which was very clearly not a late hit. And if nothing else, it was clear it was not 
intentional or egregious. And like Owens was doing everything in his power to make sure that Mahomes would not get out of bounds. And if anything, it was bang, bang, right as he was stepping on the sideline. If Even if like it was that, which it wasn't, he was not on the sidelines yet. But even if he like just hit the sidelines, you're running both in the same direction at like as fast as you can. And you're supposed to know like that he's going to step out when you're in a game ending situation and you have to do everything in your power to make sure that he does not go out of bounds. Now, credit to Jonathan Owens, stupid, dumb call on that play should have never been a personal foul. And they get a huge penalty, first down, 15 plus yards on that play. Awful call by the refs. The next one, you have the MVS play where Ballantyne's trying to tackle him along the sidelines. And MVS does a great job of you know trying to power to the sidelines and get out of bounds. Ballantyne, number one, Ballantyne can't allow that to happen. He's got to get him down. But, but if you notice, MVS goes backwards. He goes backwards to get out of bounds. And he's like pushed backwards. And if you go backwards, you're supposed to run the clock because you're calling forward progress down. But if you're going to call forward progress down, you have to run the clock. And forward progress should have been stopped and they should have given him the, the forward progress on the play. And you have to run the clock in that situation. That saved the Chiefs a ton of time in their end game. And it changed everything from there on out. Then you get the Carrington Valentine pass interference play, which in my opinion, was very clearly pass interference. He goes through the offensive player, which is a no-no. If you want to have a very, very, very loose interpretation of everyone has a chance at the ball and can play the ball, all right. I don't agree with you, but that would be a very loose interpretation of that. I agree with NBC. I agree that that should have been a penalty. And again, it's just a bunch of stuff that went wrong in that last drive for both teams. Then I saw some people be like, well, Travis Kelsey got pushed on the final play. It's like, that's a Hail Mary situation. They don't call any of that stuff. And it didn't look like the ball was actually intended for Kelsey anyway. It went elsewhere. Never going to call that in a million years. That one, they actually got right. But they got the Jonathan Owens hit wrong. They got the wrong interpretation. They should have run the clock after the MBS catch. And then I, I do think they got the pass interference wrong as well. You would have loved for it just to play itself out. But I guess those things kind of cancel each other out. Kudos to Patrick Mahomes after the game for saying like, hey, it doesn't come down to one thing. And I know they're going to let things play at the end of the game, which I'm all for is what he said. So I credit to him for saying that. Kelsey said basically the same thing. Great culture in KC. They're about all the right stuff. They weren't going to you know, have anything that was going to take away Green Bay's win or anything like that. But just wish the refs would have been a little bit more clean towards the end. But that's how I saw it. Wrong call on Owens, wrong call on the MVS stoppage, wrong call on the pass interference and then right call on the Hail Mary not to call anything on that play. I mentioned prior to the game, I thought the run game was going to be a low key, huge key to this game. Chiefs 25 carries, 148 yards and a touchdown, along of 26 yards. The running back specifically went 20 carries, 116 yards and a touchdown. That I would have felt very nervous about going into the game that Casey was able to run the ball with that level of efficiency. I would have felt better if you told me that Green Bay basically matched their level of efficiency. It was just a little bit off. Packers ran 25 times for 129 yards, a long of 24, and their running backs were 21 carries for 104 yards. So Chiefs had the Chiefs and Packers had the same amount of total carries. Chiefs had 19 more yards rushing on the same 25 carries. So not all that different. For the running backs, the Packers had one more carry, 21 instead of 20. They had 12 less yards. So again, not massively different. 
And I thought it was really important for Green Bay to have some semblance of running game because otherwise it was just all going to be on Jordan Love, which by the way, may not have ended up being that bad of a thing the way he was playing in this game. But I thought they had to take some pressure off of him and make sure that this just wasn't Love versus Mahomes and that was it. I thought they did a good job of that. Again, LaFleur was in his bag. They ran reverses, jet sweeps, pop passes, all of it. And then Dylan, I thought, ran really hard. 18 carries, 73 yards, 4.1 yards per carry, one catch, 14 yards. Not easy yards, but important yards and really impressive stuff from A.J. Dillon, who continues to perform well late in the season. And again, he he's, he gets harder and harder to tackle the later that the, the season goes along. This is a big time game from him, even though it wasn't explosive or dynamic. Those are tough, tough yards. And he came up with them time after time after time. Also want to shout out Anders Carlson. Two of two on field goals, three on three of extra points, five of five total on kicks, but a 40-yarder and a 48-yarder in the fourth quarter in huge situations. And let's just be clear, the 48-yarder changes everything. If they if he doesn't hit that, Green Bay's only up five. Mahomes has the ball, first and 10, minute 10 left. And it's like Green Bay's like 40-yard line. He's got like 60, 62 yards to go. That's a massive game changer right there where the Chiefs now have the power to take the lead with a touchdown and you give the Chiefs much better field position, more time on the clock, like all of it. it That would have changed everything in that game. So huge, huge kicks from Anders Carlson. And again, going five for five, they needed every single one of those points. I know Green Bay uh, you know, was able to get you know away with, it wasn't just like it was a one point game or anything like that, but those were massive situations for Anders and he came up huge on Sunday Night Football big time for a rookie in some clutch situations. From an injury standpoint, two injuries in the game that we're aware of. Darnell Savage went out and got checked in the medical tent, but did return to the game. So it doesn't seem to be an issue there. And then of course the Christian Watson one. I know a lot of people said like, it looked like he injured himself trying to go to the ground. If you look, it actually looks like he injures his hamstring before that and then goes to the ground because he couldn't run anymore. So like he may have tried to stay in bounds anyway, but he didn't have a choice. It looked like he actually injured the hamstring or whatever it ended up getting hurt prior to him even wanting to go down in the first place. Didn't look great. And you just feel for him. He's been playing great football this past month. I posted a stat on Twitter of like how great he's been. I think it was post November 13th last year and this year, just a totally different player, some massive catches. The touchdowns were huge and you just don't want to see him out for any specific period of time. That would be a big loss, especially the way he's playing right now. So hopefully they get some kind of good news and hopefully it's not anything crazy long-term. I know he just can't catch a break and that really, really sucks because you just really want to see that guy be healthy and really helping Green Bay on offense because when he is on, this offense is totally different and he has been on as of late and it's been a total game changer for the Packers. Some miscellaneous stuff, the inactives in the game, Jair Alexander again, still was not cleared to play, which is definitely frustrating, I'm sure for him as well. We'll see if he's gonna be able to go Monday night against the Giants, but Jair Alexander, Aaron Jones, and then uh, Josiah DeGuara were your three unhealthy scratches. Your three healthy scratches were Brenton Cox, Caleb Jones, and Samore Toure. 
Jonathan Owens and Darnell Savage got the start at safety. I think a lot of us expected it was going to be Rudy Ford and Darnell Savage, but it was Owens that got the call. And then there was uh, when Savage went out and when they kind of brought in another safety in, it was Anthony Johnson Jr. as the three. And then Rudy Ford was really the four and more of a core special teams guy. So Ford went all the way from starter to number four as Johnson and Owens have played well. And again, it looks like right now, Savage is one, Owens two, Anthony Johnson Jr. three, and Rudy Ford is four. Now, maybe that can change week by week, but that's what it seemed like for this particular game. Rashid Walker was the starter at left tackle, and then uh, Runyon was the starter at right guard. Otherwise, same Jenkins, Myers, Tom, everywhere else. They did rotate in Yash Nyman at left tackle. They gave one series to Sean Ryan. He got beat brutally by Chris Jones on one play. I didn't get to see a ton of how the rest of it went, but we'll go back and look at the tape. But I thought Runyon at first glance seemed to have an okay game. But again, we'll get to that further in the week as we get to the all 22 and film breakdowns and things like that. Key play in the game, fourth and one, Romeo Dobbs. You know, at, at some point, you can't take the sack there. Like you got to give somebody a chance. If it gets picked off, it's better than incomplete because it's fourth and one anyway. So you throw it up, you hope and pray, and you hope that Romeo gets his head turned and somehow comes down with it. I don't like just a, a heads up play by Jordan to give his receiver a chance and a phenomenal, phenomenal play by Romeo Dobbs on a key fourth and one in this game. And then credit Green Bay once again for setting the tone early, going down right away, scoring the touchdown. And this is a different team when they're playing from ahead. You can see they're playing with confidence. It just seems to give the defense a little bit more of a boost. And these past couple games when they've been able to get ahead against the Lions and the Chiefs, it's changed everything. And we'll see the the Packers lost the toss in this one and so got to receive because the Chiefs deferred. But man, if Green Bay starts winning some of those coin tosses, they might need to keep receiving because that seems to be a little bit of a formula for success for them. I mentioned earlier, the Packers are currently in the number seven seed in the playoffs. I went to the New York Times playoff simulator and see like what do they need to do to get in the playoffs the rest of the way. If they go 5-0, and New York Times has them as a 100% chance to make the playoffs. They should do that. I think that is a good plan. 4-1, and they have a greater than 99.9% chance unless that loss in 4-1 and is to the Vikings, in which case they would only have a true 99% chance. So, if they lose to anyone and go four and one besides the Vikings, greater than 99% chance. If they lose that game to the Vikings, just a 99% chance. So five and 0, 100% chance, four and one, 99% chance. If they go three and two, the remainder of their games, somewhere between 80% and 95%, depending on who they lose to. The best case scenario is that those two losses would be to the Giants and the Bears. New York Times gives them a 95% chance to make the playoffs if they lose two games, and those two games are the Giants and the Bears. The worst case scenario is if those losses are to the Buccaneers and the Vikings, in which case the New York Times gives Green Bay an 80% chance to make the playoffs. So somewhere between 80% and 95%, if, if one of those losses is not to the Vikings, they give Green Bay over a 92% chance. So they can beat the Vikings, that's going to be a really big one. Um, and as long as they don't lose three games or more with still beating the Vikings, they're going to have a massive chance to get into the playoffs. If they go two and three, they're going to have somewhere between a 14 and a 42% chance. Their worst case scenario would be if they lost to the Giants, Buccaneers, and Vikings, which again would give them only a 14% chance. Their best case scenario would be if they lost to the Giants, Panthers, and Bears, they would then have a 42% chance of making the playoffs. 
If they went one and four, they have less than a 1% chance. If they go 0 and five, they have a 0% chance. So just really quick, one more time, five and 0, 100% chance, four and one, 99% chance, three and two, somewhere between 80 and 95, two and three, somewhere between 14 and 42, again, depending on who they lose to, one and four, less than 1% chance, 0 and five, 0% chance. So like I said, just go five and 0, makes it really, really easy. What's next? Giants next, Monday night football. Giants have a lot of extra rest. They're coming off their bye and they're on Monday night football. So they will have a ton of rest. This is a huge, huge game. This one I feel like sets the tone the rest of the way. You continue your winning ways. You get the win in New York. You come back with a home game against Tampa and then a really awful Panthers team. This kind of feels like, I don't know, you could make an argument between this and Tampa Bay as their hardest one in their next three. If they go 3-0 and in their next three, they're in such an amazing spot. This feels like it could be a little bit of a trap game. You have all those amazing wins. Now you got to go on the road to New York on Monday Night Football before coming back home against Tampa. We'll see. I think, like I said, the Giants have all that extra rest. This is going to be a big game for Green Bay and one they have to take seriously and one they're going to have to find a way to come up with a win, win for when they'll clearly be favorites for, but can't take anyone for granted in this league. And the Giants, I'm sure, are going to use that extra rest to their advantage. The rest of the way, Packers of the Giants, 4-8, and eight, Tampa Bay, 5-7, and seven, Carolina, 1-11, and 11, Minnesota, 6-6, six and, six, and Chicago, 4-8. and eight. Combined records of their five remaining opponents, 20-40 and 40 overall. 20 wins, 40 losses. Friends, that is going to do it for me today. I will be back here tomorrow with Justice Mosqueda on a can't miss episode. Can't wait to talk to Justice about this three-game winning streak and their huge win against the Chiefs. Want to give a huge shout out to everyone who showed up live at Badger State Brewery on Saturday night for the live Q&A. Ton of fun, awesome people. Shout out to Most Hated Minnesotan for showing up to that and just everyone. Everyone that was there was amazing. It was awesome to meet all of you. Shout out to our new Packaday podcast members, Ian Ewing, Matthew Knapp, and Brandon Stack. Appreciate you guys. And of course, our all pro and Hall of Fame members, Most Hated Minnesotan, PJ Wynn, John Wild, Che Bradad, Arnaldo Espinosa, Jennifer Wright, Boom Handle, Lori Lord, Donald Lee, Baby QB, and MBI1023. Check out those Packaday podcast memberships if you have not already. What better time than now? They're on a winning streak, extra episodes, extra Q&As. Go sign up, subscribe, like, comment, tell a friend about Packaday. Everyone's loving the Packers right now. So everyone needs a little bit more Green Bay info in their life. And hopefully you're getting it from the Packaday podcast 365 days a year. Enjoy your victory Monday, everyone. I will see you guys soon. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.